Nobody is free of sin. Even staying alive, even breathing, requires a certain amount of greed. We leave our footprints on the natural world, on the lives of fellow human beings. We are all just a little bit evil. Welcome to Creepycast, where hope crawls away to die. Or maybe it's just taking a nap. I didn't look too closely. Who am I, Pandora? No. I'll tell you who I am. My name is Pather O'Gillian. I wrote several books, including The Call and its sequel, The Invasion. I would love it if you would read them or gift them to somebody else. Today's story, The Evil Eater, was published in the late, great Blackgate magazine. The magazine appeared only rarely, but when it did, I read it eagerly, cover to cover, and I was always honoured when my stories appeared in its pages. And what a lot of pages my story took up. So, today... I will attempt what King Solomon merely threatened to do. I will cut my baby in half. Hopefully, the imaginations of my listeners will perform a miracle and bring the two halves together again into a squalling, living whole. And so, I give you The Evil Eater, Part 1 of 2. The bell rang, and Toby snapped awake. 2am, said the clock. A guest stood in front of him, a VIP, and Toby struggled through his funk to remember who it was. Mr Schneider, he blurted. The German Minister for Finance, furious about something. Toby began an apology for sleeping on the job, but the man ignored him. He slapped ten euro onto the desk along with a piece of paper. This reservation for tomorrow night? It is disgusting and I will not be going. Cancel it, please. He turned away. Then you can get my bags. I'm leaving. He stalked off. The young man glanced at the name of the restaurant and froze. It was printed on golden paper. Achriman. Toby almost ran after the German to ask him if he was sure he wanted to cancel. But then, a delicious, terrifying idea came to him. So, Marie wanted a bit of excitement, did she? Deep down, He knew they would never get away with it. He should just pick up the phone and do as he had been asked. He looked furtively around the lobby. Maybe, just maybe with his acting ability, he could pull it off. And Marie would be so grateful she might not break up with him after all. Nobody was watching. So Toby slid the page into his pocket with shaking hands. Even Marie had heard of Acrimans, 
That's it, Toby, she screeched, her rough accent a contrast to a perfect face. You can't find a real job, so now you think I'll fall for your lies. I'm telling the truth this time. The reddening of her face worried him. It meant she was about to smash something. Something of his. Ah, remands, she repeated. The place nobody can go unless they own six yachts and a small bleeding country. You expect me to believe he went straight for her weak point. Film stars, Marie. The rich, the famous. And they have to fight for reservations like the ones we got. The food there. It it makes you smart. That's what I heard. Smart. Marie was already smart enough to know you could never have enough brains for this world. She had been lazy at school and regretted it bitterly now. Then why haven't I seen that on the news? It can't be on the news, he continued. That's the point. They won't even let you take photos in there. We would make a fortune just by selling our story. The two of us, stuffing our faces with the bleeding Queen of England. Think about it. He could see she wanted to believe. Marie needed more from life than Toby could offer. This might be his last chance to get it for her, before she left him for someone more used to giving tips than getting them. She said, You're making this up. It's because Jimmy invited me to Gallagher's again. She bunched her fists. Well, this time I will go. At least he's got a future. Yeah? Toby had expected such a threat ever since his acting work had dried up. Well, I bet Jimmy doesn't have one of these. With a flourish, he produced the invitation. Deep brown eyes widened. Go leaf, she whispered. Her hands were already reaching for it. They borrowed clothes from some actors, Toby knew. Marie looked stunning. She made the absence of jewellery seem like studied elegance, and Toby drank in the sight of her creamy skin and charcoal hair. He knew himself to be handsome in a foppish kind of way, but she would surely have been a model had she been taller. He prayed his new scheme would prove impressive enough to keep her with him a little longer. Marie's eyes widened when she saw their transport. A limo, she breathed, a bleeding limo. Toby had convinced a driver from the hotel to drop them outside the restaurant. If Achryman's security saw them getting out of a cab or, God forbid, walking, they would never even get past the front porch. I hope yous know what you're playing at, the driver told them. He was staring at Marie's cleavage in the mirror, but he needn't have bothered. Limo drivers didn't earn much more than porters. Who cares if the food makes you smart? What use has a receptionist for more brains anyways? Toby's an actor, said Marie, putting her arm around him. His puny chest swelled with pride. He almost was an actor. 
he had starred in a cola commercial, but since the moment of glory over a year ago, the only roles he had won had involved the hauling of suitcases. Well, you'd better be a brilliant bleeding actor tonight. A meal in that place would buy a house in Black Rock. The driver shut up after that, but his words had already brought butterflies out to play in Toby's stomach. They found the restaurant hidden in the back streets behind Dublin Castle, where a thin layer of asphalt covered broken cobbles. The entrance boasted no lights, and might have been that of a warehouse. A pair of huge men in suits stood outside, but Toby and Marie waltzed past them as though by divine right. They stepped into a dark hallway. A remarkable voice stopped them dead, resonant and pure. May I help you? A middle-aged woman was waiting there. She had dressed in robes of white linen, which contrasted sharply with her deep olive skin and eyes black enough to fall into. Your name? Her dignity so impressed Toby, he almost forgot to use the German accent he'd been practising all day. Toby, he said. Um, Toby Schneider. My father regrets his absence and instead sends me with the most beautiful woman I have found in your country, an Irish rose. Marie obliged him by blushing. The woman studied the golden paper Toby had brought. I am pleased to meet you, Herr Schneider. Her mouth smiled all by itself. You look much like your father. Toby returned her smile, wondering if his luck was finally on the turn. I am the Hurani, the woman continued. Then she added something in German, a language of which Toby was completely ignorant. Without missing a beat, he replied, Yes, I believe so, and nodded wisely. It seemed to do the trick. Toby wondered what his real father would think of him bluffing his way into a restaurant he could not possibly afford. He managed to keep the brief wince of shame from showing as he and Marie followed the lady down an ugly corridor of broken columns and torn hangings. What do you think of our lobby, Herr Schneider? Um, well, the Harani smiled. I see your father has not told you much about us. The tables you will dine at this evening, the couches you will lie upon, are almost as rough as this hallway. But then, there is no furnishing in this building that is less than two thousand years old. Toby's jaw dropped, and Marie let out a faint, Oh! Her eyes began paying more attention to what she was seeing, and Toby knew she was wondering if she would get a chance to slip any of it into her purse. She did that with ashtrays when she came to see him at work. Every footstep you take in here is beyond price, said their hostess, because now you walk 
in the Persia that once was. Come. She pulled open a wooden door, but carefully, so as not to damage it. Beyond lay a room of low tables, separated by fiercely burning braziers. Shadows leapt, and men dressed like biblical shepherds served diners reclining on couches. Toby and Marie followed in awe as the Harani brought them to their table. Under her urging, they slipped out of their shoes and lay down head to head. I can't see other guests, blurted Marie, with the fires. The Harani looked at her patiently. Marie continued, I mean, what if there's someone famous here? The hostess nodded, and her beautiful voice affected a reassuring tone. Don't worry, my dear. If there are famous people present, I will make them respect your privacy. With that, and with Toby laughing, she left them. Marie thumped her boyfriend. I hope you're half so clever when you're trying to get us out of here without paying. That sobered him quickly, but he put it to the back of his mind, determined to enjoy himself until the time came to fly the coop. A wine steward arrived at their table, with metal goblets for each of them, and a skin of wine which he poured expertly from a height. He was a handsome man, with bare arms that would not have shamed Cassius Clay at his peak. "'What's on the menu tonight?' asked Toby. The waiter laughed, teeth flashing in the firelight. "'What's on the menu?' he mocked. "'What's on the menu is what's always on the menu, Erta.' "'Or?' prompted Toby. "'Why did you come if not for Erta?' Erta or nothing, my young friend. Finish that wine so I give you more. Look, your waiter is coming. The giant left them to be replaced by a man bearing a pair of earthenware bowls containing a dark, lumpy substance. Marie watched it warily, and Toby knew she was already thinking of leaving. She had expected champagne and chandeliers, a feast of caviar and lobster, while famous men took time out from their wives to steal glances at her across the room. Her dreams did not include the absence of a menu, brown, lumpy stuff, and a waiter who looked like he had eaten bad chicken the night before. In fact, Toby noticed that while the wine stewards were all fine, strong men, the food waiters who passed through the flickering firelight were frightening to behold. Their faces shone with a veneer of sweat which beaded and ran into the rough spun tunics they wore. They shook as though palsied, and each of them moved as slowly as possible, hurrying only under the glare of the wine stewards. What is this bleeding crap? hissed Marie. Er, Erta, said the waiter. He looked terrified. It's Erta. She grabbed a bowl and thrust it under her boyfriend's nose. Its scent was pungent, 
though not unpleasant. Would you eat this? she hissed. Would you feed it to your bleeding dog? Toby winked at her and in a very exaggerated German accent said, We might as well try, dear, since we are for it paying. She scowled. The evening was not proceeding at all as Toby had hoped. The stingy wasters didn't even give us a feckin' spoon to eat it with, said Marie. Toby ignored her outburst. He took the bowl and popped a lump of the sticky paste into his mouth. But he didn't get to taste it, because the very second the Erta touched his tongue, he was distracted by a memory. He saw Elwaz, a girlfriend from a time before he had met Marie. They had broken up because of his stupidity, but the memory was unspoiled by this fact, as if he lived it now for the first time with no knowledge of what was to come. It was February, and thinking him asleep, Elwaz had snuck out of bed. When she failed to return, curiosity overcame him, and he followed her. He stepped quietly out of the bedroom and saw Elwaz sitting at the kitchen table in a baggy T-shirt. A shaft of sun fell through the skylight, picking out the red in her hair and running over a bare shoulder where the collar had stretched too far. She was wrapping a fine watch in coloured foil. It must have cost her several weeks' wages. Toby was filled with a wave of tenderness for her, such as he had never felt before. He had warned her not to bother. Nobody cared about a twenty-second birthday. And yet, his throat tightened, his eyes stung. Carefully, so as not to destroy the moment by alerting her, he padded back into the flat's only bedroom and lay there grinning at the ceiling until sleep overtook him. What's it like? asked Marie. Beautiful. Perhaps Marie blushed at that. Perhaps she thought he had meant her. But Toby was already reaching for another bite. Dozens of memories followed. They appeared in triumph from out of the nooks and crannies he had thought he had lost them in. The best moments of his short life paraded before his eyes, hitting him in a flood. His first beer with Dad, sitting proudly among the men. Six candles on a cake, the doorbell ringing and presents arriving. El was again. El was. And then... And then his fingers were rubbing desperately at the rough bowl in search of more crumbs. He looked up for what felt like the first time in hours. Marie's bowl was empty and her face bore all the hallmarks of stunned bliss. Jesus, Toby, Jesus, and we thought it made you smart. 
her hand snaked over to ruffle his hair. Elwaz used to do that. A deep sadness filled him. Marie was beginning to recover her composure. How are we going to get out of here? she said. Toby had thought of that earlier. He had planned to complain about the food and refuse payment. Now the best solution would be to make a run for it. Who was going to stop them anyway? They should wait for the big wine stewards to move to the far corners of the room and then head for the exit, bursting out of the building into the darkness, laughing and happy. Then they would go home to Marie's place. He could rip that lovely dress off, kiss the white skin of her neck, while his hands... his hands... The thought left him cold. You go on home, he said to her. If anyone asks, just say you're off to powder your nose. They'll not be worried since it's me who's paying. She didn't wait to be asked twice, seemingly unconcerned as to how he would make his own escape. Perhaps she was right. After all, what were they going to do to him? Make him wash dishes? Dust the antiques? Marie disappeared into the shadows. Toby sipped his wine and tried to come to terms with the sadness that seemed to be drowning him. Elle was. The best memories had been of her. Why had he been so stupid? Why? He was still there an hour later, when a couple of wine stewards came for him. They were most polite. Would you like the bill now, Herr Schneider? I have no money, he said. We know. They brought him to a windowless office which smelt of must, lit by a single candle. The Hurani was waiting for him with a pair of heavies. Her marvellous voice spoke. I think this one will work in the kitchens. One of the heavies sniggered, his skin as dark as hers, but popped. Won't last. Ahri man will have him inside a day. Oh, I disagree. She smiled. You're a good boy, aren't you, Toby? Toby was dumbfounded. Who did she think she was, his mother? His mother had thrown him out. The Hurani continued. You lied to us, Toby. Lies are the beginning of rot. He knew she was right, had known it ever since he had consumed the Erta. His stupid lies had cost him Elwaz and the love of his parents. And Toby had lied to himself too, pretending he was going to be a famous actor, pretending he wanted Marie when everything he really needed he had destroyed by his own hand. I'm sorry, said Toby, meaning it. See, said the Harani smugly, this young man will last. We'll get good work out of this one. An alarm bell began to sound at the back of Toby's mind. What do you mean I'll last? What, what's that supposed to... Strong arms were already grabbing him by the elbows.
The heavies moved him aside to let the Harani pass, and then they dragged him along after her. Within seconds, they had arrived in an alleyway behind the building. The Harani turned to face him in front of a pair of double doors. Lights flickered inside, and steam escaped intermittently. He heard sounds, too, banging and scraping and clanging, as if a steel foundry waited on the other side. A high-pitched squeal erupted from within. Toby clutched his ears and thought he felt the ground shake beneath his feet. "'What the hell is that?' he said. "'I'm not going in there with that.' The Harani stroked the young man's shoulder. The evil eater is hungry, Toby. Are you evil? Am I what? Because if you're not evil, why, you have nothing to fear. The guards laughed again. And that is the end of part one. I often say at this point that I hope you enjoyed it, but it isn't over yet. There's an awful lot yet to come, so I hope you are enjoying it. I hope you will continue to enjoy it, that your enjoyment will stretch over two weeks instead of one week, and isn't that a beautiful, beautiful thing? You could have even more enjoyment. For a mere 99 cents, you could buy my collection of short stories in Kindle format. It's called Forever in the Memory of God and Other Stories. And think of the satisfaction you would feel if you also left me a review. If you said something like, oh, Pather, Pather, you are wonderful, you are incredible, everyone, everyone in the world should listen to these stories. You could do that. Or you could reserve judgment until you have heard the second part, the concluding part of The Evil Eater next week. Until then, have a glorious time. Take care, all of you. Thank you, and bye.